everyone. Thank you for joining us for the latest podcast from the Herbert Smith Freehills Pensions Team. Uh, I'm Olivia Kettleborough, the professional support paralegal here in the Pensions Team at HSF, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Tim Smith, our professional support consultant. Tim, thanks for joining me. Pleasure. In today's podcast, uh, Tim and I will be rounding up key trends and developments from 2022 before turning to 2023 and discussing the key developments that we think are going to be important for pension scheme sponsors, trustees and providers as we move into the new year. So, Tim, turn to my first question. Before we look at 2023, how would you sum up the past 12 months? Well, I think in a word, it would be unprecedented. Uh, I think that's a word that I've heard used many times over the course of the past 12 months to describe different events. We've obviously had the war in Ukraine, which has led to rising inflation and interest rates, the fallout from the mini budget. By my count, we've had a new monarch, three prime ministers, five chancellors and three pensions ministers all in the space of the last few months. So definitely a whole series of unprecedented events, which has led to a lot of economic and political turmoil. Surprisingly, for defined benefit pension schemes, they've come through this in relatively rude health on the whole, with the latest figures from the PPF showing that funding levels across the PPF universe stand at well over 100%, and many DB schemes are much closer to being able to buy out than they anticipated. So for DB schemes, largely good news. Uh, The same is not true for DC members, many of whom will have seen their funding levels fall uh, over the past 12 months. I think for most, certainly those that are still some way from retirement, uh, that shouldn't be an issue because you would expect uh, funding levels to improve as the markets recover. Uh, I think though the biggest risk there is for, for anyone who ironically is perhaps on a kind of low risk annuity glide path, who decides to take an alternative option, perhaps to cash out or switch to drawdown fund, as they may well be crystallising losses at the bottom of the market. Um, The turmoil that we've seen, particularly politically, has also led to significant delays in key legislation, including delays to the introduction of the new funding regime and also delays to the extension of the Notifiable Events Framework, on which we're still waiting for a response to the government's initial consultation. I think it's fair to say then that 2022 has been full of uncertainty and instability for many people, uh, obviously the pensions industry included, more specifically the delays that have been caused to key legislation being published and the fact that DC members are ending the year worse off than they started it as a result of the turmoil that you've mentioned. So looking ahead to next year, what would you say are going to be the three biggest developments in 2023? Ooh, three. OK, so... I think the first one would have to be the new funding regime. I I mentioned it previously. Um, If the government and the regulators stick to their current timetable, we are expecting that new regime to come into force uh, from September next year. Essentially, the draft regulations provide that all DB schemes uh, will need to have reached a low dependency funding level and also adopt a low dependency investment strategy by the time that they are so-called significantly mature. Now, in order to ensure that their scheme hits that level, trustees are going to be required to ratchet up their scheme's technical provisions at each valuation to ensure that they're on track to reach low dependency. Now, for some sponsors, this is likely to mean that they will need to clear their scheme's deficits more quickly than anticipated. One other thing to look out for in the regulations once they're finalised is also the kind of transitional 
provisions for, for schemes that are already at or, or approaching significant maturity, and also how the, how the regulations deal with schemes for whom reaching low dependency just may not be possible because the draft regulations failed to, to provide a kind of suitable mechanism or carve out for such schemes. The second thing is dashboards. The staging timeline for dashboards is due to commence at the end of 2023 with the largest schemes and providers due to connect to the dashboard ecosystem from August of next year. To the extent they haven't done so already, trustees need to make sure they've got a plan in place together with their administrator and other advisors to ensure that their scheme will be ready to connect to the dashboards ecosystem from their staging date. Now, from a legal perspective, there's two key issues I think trustees need to think about, and that's matching and data protection. So trustees are responsible for setting their schemes matching policy, and this will need to include the criteria they will use to determine a positive match and perhaps more importantly, possible matches. And this is important because on the one hand, trustees need to make sure they're returning a sufficient number of positive matches to ensure a positive user experience for their members and to make sure that they don't fall foul of the pensions regulator. On the other hand, trustees need to ensure that they don't provide data to the wrong person. So their matching criteria is going to be crucial in that regard. Alongside that, trustees also need to carry out a full data protection impact assessment to identify the data protection risks associated with dashboards and to detail the steps they're taking to mitigate those risks. And I think the third thing I would highlight for next year is the introduction of the new consumer duty. So this is a very significant change to the FTA's regulatory regime for regulated firms. And from the middle of next year, regulated firms will be under a duty to act to deliver good outcomes for savers and policyholders. Now, insurers and other FTA regulated firms are currently going through the process of identifying and understanding what this means from a practical perspective. But I suspect that it's going to lead to some significant changes and improvements, particularly around policyholder communications and also the support services that are made available to policyholders, including pension savers, throughout their kind of savings life cycle. Perfect. Thanks, Tim. Well, the things you've mentioned there are relatively high profile. So are there any other developments that you think that people should be aware of that they may not be thinking about or may not even know about at this moment in time? Yeah, I think there's a couple I'd flag. One is um, the planned launch of the Living Pension. So the Living Wage Foundation runs the Real Living Wage initiative, uh, to which over 10,000 employers have currently signed up. And during the first half of next year, they're planning to launch a new living pension accreditation for employers. Now, I think most people across the industry would say that the auto enrolment minimum contributions aren't adequate to ensure that people have a decent standard of living in retirement. And therefore, initiatives like the living pension, I think, are going to be really important to try and encourage employers and individuals to pay more into their pensions. Um, and so that's certainly something for schemes and employers to look out for during the course of next year. I think the other thing that's likely to come back on the agenda is Brexit and EU withdrawal. Um, the government's tabled the EU revocation and reform bill uh, before Parliament 
And if that bill was to progress and become law, it would have a very, very significant impact on a wide range of legal areas throughout the UK, because essentially the bill provides that secondary legislation and case law that's based on EU law or principles of EU law would fall away um, when the bill comes into force. Now, there are many areas of pensions law, from the scheme funding regulations to the investment regulations that are based on EU law. And a concern with the way the bill is drafted is that those provisions would fall away unless they're specifically retained by Parliament. Now, that clearly creates the risk of gaps emerging and unintended consequences. And so that's something that we all need to look out for and watch out for during the course of next year. Thanks, Tim. Well, I think it's fair to say, again, that, you know, there's lots of interesting things coming um, in the next 12 months. So I'm going to turn to my final question now, and I'll be very interested to hear the answer to this question as someone who works very closely with Tim every day and understands his passion for pensions. So if you were pensions minister for a day, Tim, what single reform would you like to see introduced next year? Oh, good question. Um, I think if I was pensions minister, my hands might be a bit tied by Treasury, but... Let's assume I was uh, I was a pension minister who could do whatever I wanted. I think probably the, the most significant thing that needs to happen in the pensions world is we need to ensure that people are contributing enough. I've already mentioned living pension, which is a really great initiative, but that will be voluntary. Um, but I do think we need to, to find a way to make sure that more is going into people's DC pops to ensure that they have a decent standard of living in retirement. Now, clearly, you know, we're in the midst of a cost of living crisis, it's not the best time to get people or employers necessarily to put more in. So I think what I would like to see next year, though, is a timetable clearly spelled out and put in place for the increase of minimum auto enrolment contribution rates. So they don't necessarily need to go up over the next 12 to 24 months. But I think we do now need to have a statutory timetable put in place to provide uh, for that and to ensure that people, as I say, will have an adequate income in retirement. Great. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Uh, many thanks to Tim for joining me and for sharing his insight into the variety of topics that we've covered today. Uh, we hope that you all enjoyed listening. And if you'd like to be notified about our future podcasts, please subscribe to our UK pensions blog, Pensions Notes, or subscribe via the Herbert Smith Freehills channels on Spotify, iTunes or SoundCloud. If you have any questions or feedback on anything that you've heard today, please don't hesitate to get in contact with one of us or your usual Herbert Smith Freehills contact. Thanks again for listening and we hope that you all have a wonderful Christmas and a very happy new year.